Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I hope you're enjoying your summer and having a great 4th of July. I hope you have fun plans for this evening, or if you're watching this after Monday, had fun, watched the fireworks, and got some beach time. So today I have Nia Thomas from Bilingual Speech Resources here to talk all about dynamic assessment and disorder versus difference and all that fun stuff. So Nia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Hallie. I'm really happy to be here. Tell everyone a little bit more about you and your SLP journey to where you are now. Sure. I feel like the best way to start is uh, goes all the way back to childhood. So I am a daughter of immigrants. My parents are from the Dominican Republic and my first language was Spanish up until kindergarten. When I got to kindergarten, that's when I started learning English. So I always preface this to say that I'm a sequential bilingual. Since then, I have only been educated in English. I've only gone to school in English. So I... I'm probably at this point very dominant in English, but I always like to give that disclaimer. So I got my bachelor, double bachelor's, so a true SLP nerd. I couldn't decide. So I did Black Studies and Communication Disorders with a minor in Linguistics. And then I got my master's at Teachers College with the, the bilingual extension. So Teachers College is one of those two programs that has the bilingual extension kind of built into the program. And now I've been a bilingual school-based SLP for now the past nine years. By the time this hits, I'm going into my 10th. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a very interesting journey. My first four years were in a community school. And then since then, I've been in a District 75 school, which is like a specialized sector of the DOE. If people aren't familiar, that is solely for students with disabilities. The first half of my career, I did a lot more difference versus disorder, although I still do a little bit. 
now I do a lot more dynamic assessment, but all of my kids have disabilities because that's the sector that I uh, work in. And I am the founder of Bilingual Speech Resources, which is just a blog and kind of website, social media space where I share a lot of information about the things I'm learning and the things I'm doing and the therapy stuff I take on. So I love that you shifted gears and that you realized that there's a need for education in this area. Yes. So many SLPs are just unsure and not confident when it comes to diagnosing a student, an English language learner, whether is it a difference? Is it a disorder? What advice would you give to someone who is unsure of where to begin? The beautiful thing is back from when I went to school almost a decade ago now there, I think there, I believe there are a lot more resources out there. And so there's definitely things that we can use to help kind of see the difference between a a difference and a disorder. On my Teachers Pay Teachers, I know that there is actually a chart that I give out to teachers whenever I do screenings. And I've decided this kid does actually doesn't have a disorder. They have a difference. And the chart will kind of help teachers. It's a free resource. will help teachers educate them to see, oh, this is how it can look similar, but how it's really different. And the, the biggest thing I would say to SLPs who are trying to figure out whether it's a difference or disorder, I would say move away from standardized tests. I have a lot to say about standardized tests. And they, you know what? When they are done with the population that they are normed for, wonderful. They don't do that for L's, right? There's a lot of research at this point that tells us they're constantly misdiagnosing L's as having a disorder. So moving away from standardized tests, even though that's heavily what we're trained in in grad school and moving more towards dynamic assessments and very specifically language samples and analyzing language samples, which we don't get enough practice in, but that's where it's at. That's where you're really going to be able to tell if your kid has a a language difference or disorder is looking at their language samples. Can you give some examples of what a difference versus a disorder might look like in terms of a language sample? Yeah, sure. So it depends on the language, right? And the beautiful thing is Asha has, I'm clearly Spanish is easy for me, right? That's my, that's my other language. So, but that doesn't mean that I don't have to do research as well. If I'm working with a student that speaks Korean or speaks, you know, there was one Haitian Creole. I've I've had a lot of Haitian Creoles combined. Right. And so Asha has this really cool component of the website. I'm trying to remember the exact language it was, but it wasn't even a popular one. It was, it was some kind of like an Asian language. I can't remember which one it was. And one of my students spoke that. And I noticed when I took the language sample that she was doing, I can't, and again, this was years ago, so I can't remember the exact attribute, but what I remember was going onto Asha's website, looking up the, the language, and they actually have a portion on Asha where they tell you how that can look in their English samples, if that makes sense. So I'll give you an example that I'm really familiar with is Spanish. In Spanish, when you describe something, you say, el carro rojo. That's if I literally translate is car red, right? So if I have a kid who I'm I'm, I'm doing a language sample and everything's looking really good, but they're switching that word order and they're saying the the car red, the car red go fast. That's not necessarily a disorder because I know that in Spanish, that's the order of the words and they're literally translating it in their brain, right? So things like that, that Spanish influence, how does that first language influence their English? And Asha actually has a lot of information on their website on that. It is not something you need to commit to memory. I think one of the biggest faults we have is, I don't even know it's a fault. I think it's just because our field is, there's so much you can do in our field. You can't be a master at everything. I would not, you know, if someone came to me and was like, I have a, someone needs to be seen for swap following your dysphagia, I'd be like, I'm not the one. I'm not, I'm not the therapist for you, right? I'll pass that one on to a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not the one, you know, feeding, eh, not, not the worst, but so, so also not my specialty. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you're expected to know every single language in existence and how every single language shows up in English, but we utilize our resources. And Asha has actually a lot of good resources when it comes to that. So good to know. And also articulation is another one, right? Think, thinking about articulation errors, like do those sounds exist in the first language? Right. Or are we now diagnosing against having an articulation disorder and they don't have that sound in their first language? Right. That's another example. Mm-hmm. So, so true. There's no V. There's no TH. Um, so, you know, Spanish influence English, they'll say share more, more often than they'll say chair. The share, the share. It's not because they can't do chuz because it's not a sound that's used as frequently in the Spanish language. Right. Mm hmm. So it's really good to check stimulability if they can do it. And again, Mm -hmm. like the dynamic assessment. And I think it's so important. Also, what we forget is like the Bix and the Kelps. Like our students are are learning the language. So they might because I remember in graduate school, we're like, like, hey, you know, the way to know if it's a difference or disorder is to look at their native language. Mm -hmm. Well, they could also be starting to lose skills in their native language. And you can't use that as a reference. Absolutely. So what would you say to that? Like, what would you do in those situations? Yeah, I think that those are the tricky ones, right? When they're in between languages and and we're not sure. Um, I would say that for those kids, what's really helpful is family interviews or caregiver interviews. That'll tell you a lot, right? Asking, again, I have this on my Teachers Pay Teachers and it's also free. It's just like, there's like critical, and it's not just me, right? Like I didn't, I didn't do this work by myself. The Leaders Project uh, that comes out of Teachers College has so many amazing free resources for SLPs to check out. So I know that they have some, a blog post called The Critical Questions. And I have my own version that's like a little bit different, but very similar questions of these questions that we should be asking family that really help us get, the full picture, because what we know, what research tells us is that the best diagnosis comes from converging evidence. It's not from one thing. It's from all. That's what I love about evaluations. It's from all these different pieces that we take. And the family interviews are a huge family and classroom interviews are a huge portion of that. One of the simplest questions I like that should be asked is how do you know your kid is smart? How do you know your kid is smart? And sometimes you'll get these stories and you'll get the examples and you'll be like, oh, wow. So even though they don't have the strongest help in you know, cognitive academic language proficiency in either language yet, you can tell they're smart because they'll go and they'll maneuver their environment in a way to help you figure out what it is they're trying to say, right? Or they'll ask you, how do you say this in this language? I don't know this word in this language, right? So family interviews, comparing their development to that of peers, if there are cousins, siblings, is it similar? Is it really different? That kind of information is also going to help you understand if it's a difference or a disorder, because if they're just learning a language, then there's not going to be a lot of concern from the family in terms of their development versus like other similar peer development, you know? Yeah. What would you say this might have happened a couple of times in my career where us as SLPs, I've had a bilingual evaluation done on a student and I agree with the findings. However, committee teacher saying but they're failing, they're struggling, but they don't Mm. qualify necessarily for anything else. (laughs) What would you say where a student is struggling academically, but it's not because of language? Yeah, um, I get this question a lot. I understand and I've been in a position, a similar position, especially in my first school where I was like new to the field and I just so wanted to help it. I was like, you know what? 
I know that I can help, right? Like at least if they're getting speech twice a week, I can provide that intervention that they need, even though it's not really a language disorder. I've since shifted how I feel about that. And the reason is that when we comply, when we're a part of this decision to do that, we are labeling the kid with a label that is inaccurate. And more often than not, they're going to carry that label for who knows how long. And it can really shape the opportunities that they have in in their academic career, eventually in their life, because we think, oh, it's just for this amount of time. And then, you know, I know they don't really, they don't really have a language disorder. So when they get to, but how often are we really communicating? And granted, maybe there are some districts that are amazing at this. I know that that's not the case for me. How often are we truly communicating with the therapists that are working with these kids after us? Or are they just reading the, and you can't write that in the IEP, you can't write. This kid does not really have a language disorder, but we're going to see him anyway. Like because I'm a rock star and I can help them. <laughs> right, and we can, right? We can because the ethical thing to provide these kids would be RTI, response to intervention. And in some districts, speech pathologists do do RTI. In my first school, I worked RTI after school, and so I would advocate if it is within the means of the school, if you have the power to. I mean, uh, half of our job is advocacy, right? It's not just a therapy. We're constantly advocating for our kids and advocating for the the community as a whole. But I would advocate what needs to happen is, and honestly, in cases like that, it's not just one or two kids. You can probably find a good group of kids that needs this intervention that doesn't need speech. And I would say what we really need here is RTI. Can we build RTI into my schedule? Not all, and that depends on the district, right? Not all of us really have the, the openings for that. But if there are openings, can I put RTI into it? Can I fit, or instead of putting this kid in as a mandated speech session, can I do response to intervention? No mandated speech, nothing on an IEP, but I am providing, I'm qualified and I'm providing intervention to these kids. And in some instances, it has happened to happen in my first school. You may even be able to advocate to do RTI after school and be paid per session for that. And it would be something outside of your regular hours. So really what those kids need is RTI. It's not speech. So, so true. And then that's to tie into, that's where like dynamic assessment comes in. Can you explain a little bit about what is dynamic assessment and the benefits for this population? Absolutely. So dynamic assessment is basically just, so you know how we're trained with standardized assessment that you read the thing once and you can't read it again, can't do any additional prompting, any of that. You just say it, you have them point, they either get it or they don't get it. Dynamic assessment does not look like that. Dynamic assessment really shows us how a student can learn. So even if they can't answer the question, the prompt, they can't quite give us what we're looking for. If we provide them with a model, if we teach it to them, right? A lot of some dynamic assessment really is just teaching a kid a nonsense word. It's not a real word. It's a made up word with no particular language attached to it. But you see if the kid can retain it, right? And it says a lot about how they can process phonetic inventories and phonetic assembly of words, right? Another part of dynamic assessment, a great dynamic assessment is repetition of of non-words because that will right there will eliminate the language bias, because we're just looking at what their executive memory looks like, right? How they can repeat things back to us and the language samples. So what that tells us is, let's say the kid has a really limited vocabulary because we know that socioeconomic status is tied to vocabulary. So they are going to bomb on the self or any Peabody vocabulary test or any of those other tests that are testing vocabulary. They're going to bomb. Does that mean that they have a language disorder? Not necessarily, right? It could just mean that they don't have a family that has access to the same kind of education. It, it can be a very biased 
assessment. It is a very biased assessment. So when we do dynamic assessment, we can see, can this on the spot, can this kid learn? If I teach him this word, if I have him repeat these things, if I take a language sample and I just look at the actual cohesion of the narrative, do they have those skills as opposed to testing vocabulary, as opposed to testing all these things that we know are really biased and don't actually tell us, especially with L's, if they have a language disorder. What are your favorite tools for dynamic assessment and language sampling? So I like playing with different things. (laughs) But right now, um, I mean, you can never go wrong with like the wordless uh, YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Like Birds on a Wire is one of my favorites. There's a lot of Pixar wordless videos. Right now, one of my favorites comes out of leader project and it's called the school language assessment measures and what's beautiful is they used to be cards that you would have to put in front of a student and then have them tell the story and they also have a guideline which is beautiful because wordless videos you're kind of on your own but with the slam cards they literally have the questions to ask and how to score it even though it's not standardized scores you still have an idea of ranges of what's typical and not and since the pandemic mm-hmm. They made those cards virtual. So now you can get them through Boom Learning. And again, all free. Free 99 doesn't cost <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. And I love it because there's like the, the one with the rabbit in the backpack. It's good for like the younger ones. Yeah. And the cell phone, leaving it at the grocery store, like whatever, like that's more appropriate for the older ones. So there's a picture yeah. cards that there's are. Ones. There's like there's ones that's for young. There's like a subway one. There's like the crayon one. You said the bunny one, right? There's mm-hmm. one the dog goes home and there, it just, it does a great job of eliciting na- a quality narrative sample. Because often what happens, I've done this, is like, oh, I'm going to collect a language sample. And I just ask the kid questions. I'm like, so what's your name? How many, do you have any siblings? Right. And that's not a quality language sample. This is like intentionally structured to really allow us to get a picture of what this kid's language is like. And it tests for those higher level thinking skills, right? Like the one, there's one of them that the, the dog in the beginning is so filthy that it's black and then it gets in the bathtub and then at the end it's white. And then the, you got to ask the kid like, wait, where'd the white dog come from? And they've got to be able to figure out, oh, it's the same dog, but it was so dirty before, right? Like how nuanced is that understanding and then the explanation of that? And the fact that it's pictures, it's eliciting language without them having to process a different language or anything like that. Like, and you can have them speak in either language to see what, you know, sure. one of them stronger sure. than the other. So I know the SLPs in my district, we, we use the same cards that we're a fan of them and the Leaders Project and all their resources. So yeah, highly recommend checking them out. It's free. We'll link it in the show notes. Definitely go check those out. And the fact that it's boom cards, even better. Like you don't even have to print and laminate anything. No, you don't. The boom cards actually have the questions right on top. So even if you don't have like, you don't print out the uh, guide mm-hmm. on the spot. I do this all the time. I just record it. And then I go back later on and I listen to it and I jot down what I need to jot down. It's great. So smart. So smart. Using like Camtasia or one of those types of what do you record? Oh, or even just like your phone. Yeah, I just use my phone. This one called like speech recording. There's a couple. Someone told me about one called Otter recently that I wanted to try because it also transcribes it for you. Anything that helps me save time, you know, like all for it. <laughs> we need time savers. Mm-hmm. So Otter, I tried it recently and it, and it transcribes up to like the first 600 minutes free, which like me, I don't need more than 600 minutes. These language samples are like two and a half, three minutes max. So that could totally last you the year. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then delete them and then <laughs> start <Four> fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any other piece of advice you would like to provide speech pathologists working with L's, feeling overwhelmed, unsure, wanting to make a difference? 
Um, I get it. We're all overwhelmed. I think I read a recent Asha article that was just talking about, okay, if we know what best practice is, why isn't it being implemented? Like, what are the obstacles getting in the way? And the number one obstacle was, well, there was two. The, the first was time, having the time to do these things. The second was the knowledge. And so I believe that the majority of us in the field didn't receive the proper training to do a true analysis of language samples because the standardized tests were so pushed. It was like, you have to learn how to do these standardized tests. You have to learn all to find out like this is not, it actually is not best practice, especially if you're working with else, right? Like I said, there is a population that it works for and likely, you know, this doesn't then, it's not relevant to you. But if you're listening to this, it may be because you're dealing with culturally and linguistically diverse students and those students don't benefit from standardized tests. So to that, I would say two things. One, I encourage you to try it, like try the slam cards, print out the guides, push yourself, maybe do two or three months or do a year, do a year where every IEP for every kid, you at least take one language sample, just try it. And you may find that initially it may feel a little bit time consuming, but in the long run, the more you do it, it's actually faster on top of being more accurate. And so I would say just just try it, maybe pick one instead of choosing a whole bunch of different, find one of the slam stories that you think would be relevant to your caseload and challenge yourself to try it and to practice. The Leaders Project also has a free CEU course. So if you're looking for CEUs and you really feel like you don't quite have the knowledge on the grammar and syntax of how to analyze language samples, there is a free CEU. So I think that's also worth checking out as well. It's great. We'll definitely link to all that in the show notes. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, Nia, for all of your wisdom and knowledge. Just that jolt of inspiration that all of us need. And all of us right now are thinking how we can be better SLPs for the next school year. So where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? For sure. So uh, Bilingual Speech Resources is probably most active on Instagram. So check us out on Instagram. There is a TikTok account. I don't post too often, but Instagram is where you can find me the most. <laughs> and I'll link all the blog articles throughout the year. And I share therapy crafts and things that I'm learning. And, 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 you know, we're constantly learning and evolving as a field. So, you know, there's no shame. I always say, don't be embarrassed about if you didn't feel like you didn't do something as well before, because I always start from a place of like, I used to do this and now I do this. Bilingual speech resources. That's where we are. I always make a school year goal for myself. Like one year was to learn the curriculum better. Another Mm -hmm. year was to do better with parent communication. Another to leave my speech closet and be seen a little more so people Mm -hmm. like I could advocate a little bit more. And for me this year, add more language sampling into my assessment. So thank you for that inspiration. No, thank you for the inspiration. I'm going to give myself a goal this year. (laughs) Well, I always end my episodes with a joke. And since it's summertime, figured which fish is the most famous? I don't know. The starfish. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Aha! That's cute. ching! All right, everyone listening. Until next week. Stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, 
It would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.